you guys for tuning in to another episode of Thoughts of an Idealist. I am Kay, the Idealist, and today we are going to discuss imposter syndrome. I know some of you may have heard of it. Some of you may be unfamiliar with it. And so this podcast, we are basically just going to tell you a bit of characteristics, identifying specific types of imposter syndrome, and then also looking at different perspectives of what this actually means and how it impacts us differently. Today, I do have a very special guest. You, Some of you may know her if you listen to other podcasts, but I do have mental health professional, um, BSN, RN, Ashanti Files with us, um, and also Poet Laureate. I'm sorry, I forgot that title. Um, we, we have Ashanti Files with us, and she's also my sister. There's another title for you. Um, and she's going to be discussing imposter syndrome with us as well. Ashanti, do you mind introducing yourself or telling the audience a little bit more about you for those who haven't listened to previous podcasts? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on today, Kay. I think the most honorable title you mentioned is, in fact, sister. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for seven years, and I currently work in mental health and addiction. Um, I've been a, every kind of nurse you can think of. I've done hospice. I've done long-term care. I've done cardiology. I've done pulmonology, acute step down. And the common thread is that no matter what type of nurse you are, you will deal with mental health um, components. Whenever you're dealing with the human being or the individual, you're going to deal with mental health. So I'm really excited to be on today to discuss imposter syndrome and to kind of have a candid conversation about it. Um, I'm also the Urbana Poet Laureate for the year 2021. And this topic um, really rings true to me because my platform is mental health and wellness, as well as reaching the youth, particularly girls of color who deal with um, stress and trauma. And I teach them slam poetry as a coping mechanism. And they too sometimes feel as though they have imposter syndrome when they start to become successful or see themselves outside of what society tells them they should be. So this is going to be a great discussion. Thank you so much. And again, I am so happy that you were able to join me for this discussion, especially because of your role in the mental health community. I always try to get um, thought leaders, um, people who are actually doing the work to discuss certain topics. So thank you, thank you, thank you again. Now, before we dive into the discussion, I do want to highlight some elements of imposter syndrome so that the audience, again, understands the context of our conversation. Okay. It refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. And it's basically, in layman's terms, pretty much like feeling like a fraud. And this is no matter your skills, knowledge, achievements, and experience. It seems like none of that is enough. And that's basically the basic definition of what imposter 
syndrome is. And again, I did get this from an article written by Arlene and Amy. They are also mental health professionals and they outline several characteristics of imposter syndrome. Um, these characteristics include self-doubt, the inability to realistically assess your competence and skills, attributing your success to external factors, um, berating your own performance, fear that you won't live up to others' expectations, overachievement, sabotaging your own success, and then also setting very, very, very challenging goals and feeling like a failure when you fall short of those goals. All of these are characteristics um, that align with how developers of this condition describes imposter syndrome. Now, when we discuss identifying um, certain types, um, these are, I guess, more or less personality types associated with these characteristics. To be clear, imposter syndrome is not a recognized disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of, Men of Mental Health Disorders, but it is a condition that the authors say roughly 70% of people will experience at least once. So it's obviously pervasive even though it's not recognized in the mental health profession yet. And so these are some of the personality types associated with the characteristics of imposter syndrome. Um, the first is the perfectionist. These are people that are just never satisfied. I know sometimes we have a way of you know, saying that about people like, oh, you're just such a perfectionist, but there is a level of extreme perfectionism that is associated with imposter syndrome. Um, you have the superhero. Uh, this person is an individual that feels inadequate. They feel compelled to push themselves to work as hard as they possibly can. Um, you have the expert. These individuals are always trying to learn and are never satisfied with their level, level of understanding. You have the natural genius. These are individuals, um, again, they set extremely high goals for themselves and then feel very insecure when they don't actually attain these nearly impossible goals. And then you have the soloist. These people, they tend to be very, very individualistic and they prefer pretty much to work alone. These are just some of the basic elements of imposter syndrome, its characteristics, identifying some of the personality types with this condition, okay? And this, again, this information derived from one article. Um, if you guys go to my website or my Instagram or Facebook page, again, that's K underscore the idealist. These links will be available um, along with the podcast so I do hope you guys check it out so you can get in a more in-depth understanding. Now, again, when we look at the flip side of this, you know, there's a little bit of pushback. Okay, Absolutely. okay go ahead, Shani, Ashanti. What do you think? It's, it's difficult. As I was preparing for this interview, I read this article first and I was like, 
oh my gosh, I'm totally the expert. Um, the nurse is trying to learn more. I'm the writer who's trying to be better. And I actually attended a writing conference and they did a whole two hour session on imposter syndrome and how as a writer, you have to kick the critic out of the room. And so I really related to it. And then I read the second article and started to do more research. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this was really just developed because okay. of women. Exactly. And so we haven't got that far yet. So let me continue. <laughs> thank you for that feedback. Again, <clears throat> again, Ashanti mentioned the second article and while exploring this concept of imposter syndrome, I found that even though the author's thoughts and points are valid, there is an obvious, another side, another thought process to what this actually is. And so during my research, I came across another article written in the Harvard Business Review and it was titled, Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it basically explores workplace dysfunction. And they go into a pretty detailed historical account about even the, the people who developed imposter syndrome and how it wasn't when, when this idea of imposter syndrome was created and, and worked out, you know, they didn't even include basically others. They didn't include people of color. They didn't include, you know, any type of minority population. That's including the LGBTQI plus community. None of those margin marginalized groups were included in the development of this imposter syndrome. And so the article from the Harvard Business Review, it was written by um, African-American women and they basically do an analysis of what imposter syndrome is and how uh, it, it impacts individuals. And what they pretty much found is, is it really a mental health issue or is it systematic bias, racism, sexism, homophobia? And we're just, you know, basically, and we're just turning it on the individual instead of looking at the dysfunctional workplace culture. Instead of looking at this issue systemically, which is what this article argues, we're turning it in on individuals and saying, hey, you may have imposter syndrome. I, oh my God, it was, it was, mount, it was mind blowing when I read that article and I identified with it 110%. Learning about imposter syndrome was interesting because number one, sometimes you do have an inner critic and you're like, oh, I don't know if I could do this. You have a little bit of self-doubt, but after reading the article from the Harvard Business Review, I'm sitting there like, this is, this is how I feel. Yes, I, yes, this is it. And so it's that it's that balance. Is it a mental health issue or is it something larger? Is it really a workplace dysfunction and a cultural issue that a systemic cultural workplace issue that needs to change? Or is it all of these individuals? Mm -hmm. And so this is pretty much where the discussion is going 
to begin. And so, Ashanti, you read these articles too. <laughs> you read these articles. And so what did you think as a mental health professional about that second article from the Harvard Business Review? It kind of was like a breath of fresh air. So the thing about anxiety and self-doubt is it's always seems to be like a giant monkey on your back. You're always carrying it around. So reading the first article, you could immediately relate to it. Like, I definitely feel that way. And because you can acknowledge you feel that way, you immediately begin to search for a solution. But in the second article, it kind of flips it on its head. Like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't all on you. This is on the systems in which we work in, we live in, we play in. And it's on them to actually stop filling you with that self-doubt that says you aren't good enough because in reality, you are good enough. So I felt as though the selection of the articles was just simply outstanding. Um, in regards to a mental health profession, this is where I'm not so sure. Because like you said, in the DSM, there is no imposter syndrome, but there definitely is an anxiety. And as you continue to explore, I know you're an idealist, Kay, you're well-rounded and well-read. There's something called the Thomas theorem in sociology. Mm -hmm. And so the Thomas theorem tells us that a situation is as real as the individual who creates it. And therefore the consequences that are the product of that situation are real as well. Mm -hmm. An example of this is it's a, if a schizophrenic believes that they're on fire and they run into traffic and gets hit by a car. The person driving the car obviously knows they're not on fire, but they still hit the person because the person thought they were on fire and therefore their thought made a consequence real. I feel as though this is the same thing. You have these two women in the 70s who were probably high achieving, unaccepted, and felt as though they weren't good enough, create this whole theorem that they knew intrinsically other women who were high achieving could relate to, but they totally missed the mark. And by saying, no, this is a systematic problem. This is not something we're creating ourselves. This is a systematic problem. And I feel as though that happens a lot in mental health communities. We tend to tell people, you know, if you take this on as an individual, you can change your individual actions and that'll lead to individual results. But it's irresponsible almost in a way to not acknowledge the system that put the pressure on you to make a bad decision in the first place, to make you feel insecure in the first place and to make you feel as though you had to make choices that were quote unquote the wrong choices but necessary choices for survival. Um, so it's, it, it, it definitely got my wheels turning. It definitely got the wheels turning as to, is this real? If people can relate to it, it's real, but it's such, so much more. It's, it's not just on the individual, it's on society as well. Okay, so you brought up a lot of different topics that can really veer off in any direction. And I think one of the main things that I really liked was the question, is it real? Wow. Yeah, is it real? Is it real? And, and <clears throat> obviously it's called Thoughts of an Idealist, the podcast. And to be honest, I think, yes, I most of the 
episodes, you know, they end on hopeful tones because that's really what we need as a society, as a human race. We need hope and we need to believe. But a lot of the things that I do explore is truth. And for me, truth is reality. It's real. Mm-hmm. It's not in your head. Mm-hmm. It's not an emotion. It's not a shit. It's something that is real. It's tangible and it's concrete. And sometimes intangible things can be just as real as tangible things. But when it comes to that, I don't know, what is that? It's that, you know, grappling between mm-hmm. is this something individualistic? Is it systemic? That fight and then to throw, is it real? That that That's the fight. It is the fight. That's but... the fight because my thing is this. To be honest, when I read that second article, it was almost like, it's like every stanza I was, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Literally every single stanza. And, and, and at one point she equates the diagnose the diagnosis of imposter syndrome as equivalent to the 19th century female hysteria. Yes. I absolutely. thought that was spot on. Um yes, 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 like yes, but and then even though I'm not a mental health professional, recognizing that in some people's minds, and you're absolutely right, anxiety is real. And anxiety, what I think what some people don't know, because we talk about anxiety usually in its extreme form mm-hmm. when people do need mental health intervention, but anxiety is a natural emotion. It is. When it you are nervous, you feel anxious sometimes and it's okay. And another thing that they brought up, another um, point that they brought up in the Harvard Business Review article was how when you have white men in these workplaces, and they feel doubtful and they feel nervous, which are some of the feelings that are at the root of imposter syndrome. They get mentorship. They learn not to question them, question themselves because they end up getting someone who take them under their take them under their wings and they teach them. They grow into the organization. They are encouraged to contribute. Even if they're wrong, they are encouraged to, you know, give their input, give their thoughts, give their opinions. But then on the flip side of that, when you're a woman, not only are do you not get that same mentorship, so the doubt is, you know, it becomes bigger. You also get, mm, you're not a team player if you don't agree with what exactly, we Exactly, exactly. Um, I, I think guess. you're a little bit too bold, Miss Assertive. Right. You know what I mean? And so that's why I'm like, okay, how, 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 do, we, how do we balance that? Well, I think it's a matter of recognizing that it is what it is. So... You're absolutely right. Like the men feel the same way, but they're giving mentorship to get over it. Whereas women aren't because women are technically supposed to be in the workplace. These systems that have been established have been established for centuries. And even when you say this was developed in the seventies, like that's our parents. Yeah. It's yes. not even old. And mm-hmm. yes, it ties in with the idea of female hysteria. And you have these women who proposed this theory grappling to identify something nameless but 
experienced widespread and falling a little bit short, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel as though they did the best that they could at the time, but even you mentioned that is anxiety, is anxiety real? You can accept, you said everything, the way your mind works is tangible. With anxiety, it developed as a survival mechanism. If you didn't get nervous, when you saw a lion coming, your heart wouldn't beat faster. Your lungs wouldn't react quicker. You wouldn't get the oxygenation to get your legs moving so you can run away for your life. And it seems as though we're no longer running for our lives, but we still have these biological mechanisms in place and they're, they're being turned on in responses to these situations expressed in systems that are totally out of our control. So the reason that I brought up the Thomas theorem is to challenge you in that the fact that these women believed it was real because it was a shared experience makes it real, even though it's not in the DSM-5. Um, it's the same thing that goes with social constructs such as racism and xenophobia. You know, we both know we aren't less than because we're women and because we're women of color, but because a whole group of men said that we were, they created systems that made it feel as though, it feel real that we were less than because economically they made sure we weren't able to. So when you think about social constructs, it absolutely can apply to mental health as well. You have this social construct of the woman not supposing to belong at this high-end executive job. The woman is not supposed to leave her family. The woman is not supposed to be here. So she's not supposed to succeed here. She's supposed to feel ineffective. She's supposed to do it on her own. She's not supposed to take advantage of the same opportunities. And those social constructs aid in making imposter syndrome real for that individual. So it's, it's like I said, it's a, it's a fantastic topic. It's a confusing one when you try to define whether or not it's real, because when you deal with mental illness and mental health, if it's real for that individual, it is real. Okay, so just to be clear, is imposter syndrome the correct term to describe the biased treatment of women <clears throat> in the workplace and higher education institutions? Meaning by individualizing a condition that has system, systemic bias implications, are we misplacing blame as the authors of the Harvard Review article suggest? That's an excellent question. We are definitely misplacing the blame. We are definitely misplacing the blame. Um, imposter syndrome shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. What should be a thing is why was this invented to give women something to reach for, to say that they were afflicted by when they're confronted with not being able to achieve their success, when it really isn't their fault, it's the system's fault. Sometimes it feels like grappling a system and trying to break down a system seems too big and too hard. So we place the blame on the individual. Yes. and tell the individual to get better. So no, imposter syndrome absolutely should not exist. However, how do we 
what name do we give the way that women and people of color and marginalized groups feel when they're put in this situation? It's like imposter syndrome has been accepted. Even though it's not in the DSM, it's been accepted. Otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. So now what term can we develop? What term can we hold on to, to say, no, this is not a mental illness. This is a physiological reaction to what society is put in my path as a barrier. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And to be, and I really like you, you, you made a good point. You said we place the blame on individuals instead of systems. Now, we often discuss this idea of systems. And one of the very first things that I learned about systems is exactly what you said. Um, when there's an issue with an organization, you know it's a dysfunctional workplace culture. When the number one excuse individuals have for the dysfunction is one another. They'll say, yeah. oh, well, John Doe didn't get his work submitted in time. Therefore, this had some type of trickle down effect. Yeah. You mentioned productivity. Mm -hmm. Why is Amanda blaming John? Why is John blaming Derek? Why is Derek blaming Keisha? Mm -hmm. And it's because they feel as though they aren't being productive. Because when you're talking about mental health, you have this dichotomy of what you are taught in school, what mm -hmm. works for people, certain people. And you notice that depending on the culture and ethnicity and even environment, urban versus rural, it comes out in different ways. So for example, white women are more likely to seek therapy and get individual therapy and have good responses from that. Whereas women of color do much better in group therapies. Okay. Women of color do much better when they're surrounded and empowered by each other. Okay. So it's recognizing what works for you. Um, it's recognizing that you need help when it's becoming a burden, when this anxiety is taking up most of your day, when you're losing time because you were worried about a problem, when you could have been doing something that you enjoy and that made you happy. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm a writer. I'm always encouraging other people to write. I encourage you to talk to professionals. I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to meditate. I encourage you to exercise. Whatever makes you smile, do that. We put too much onus on, oh no, you have to go to the doctor and get medicated and go to therapy every Tuesday and Thursday for the next six years of your life. Some individuals may need that. But mm -hmm. like you mentioned at the beginning of this discussion, everybody experiences stress and everybody experiences anxiety. Absolutely. It is not always a clinical thing. You have to meet certain criteria for you to be clinically diagnosed with anxiety. Yes. That daily anxiety that you're experiencing, do something that brings you joy, <sighs> that genuinely makes you smile, that makes you laugh from your belly to get over it. Because when you don't address it in the moment, it compounds. And then that's when it becomes a clinical problem requiring individual therapy and medications. Wow. Wow. Now that's, it seems like something that's so simple, but that was, it's truly powerful. It's interesting how, you know, she's a, she's a young, she's a young, she's a tween. <laughs> she's <laughs> young. I don't want to say she's a young woman.
certain things in her emotional responses. And I'm learning to talk to her like, hey, you know, if you're feeling this, your emotions can trigger a physical response in your body. They are now having a large psychological impact. It is important. It it is healthy to get your emotions out. Like people think I'm crazy, but I scream. (laughs) I will go in my car, turn on my radio, drive down the highway and scream. And screaming releases endorphins. Endorphins translate into pleasure and pain relief. Screaming is healthy. We used to scream when that lion was chasing us and we were running for our lives. Yeah. But society tells us you can only scream when you're in danger. Yeah. And society is ignoring the cycle. Or don't be loud. Don't be loud. loud. You're a girl. Don't dare be loud. Um, Scream into a pillow. Sing a song at the top of your lungs in the shower. You yeah. know, like you have to have a physical way to get out those mental anguishes. Otherwise it becomes a problem. You can crochet, you can knit, you can sew. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of everyday basic things you can do. And that was- It was just interesting. I wouldn't necessarily call that a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, a little bit- you know, you need to do a little bit of self-work maybe. Mm-hmm. But when I came across that, I'm like, okay, at this point, you're just, you know, you want to use this word yeah, as if, okay, I belong with these group of people. Exactly. Well. exactly. I see that a lot when people are like, oh, that's just my OCD. And I'm like, you're not OCD because you right. didn't have to take the lid of their pen three times every time you touched it. Exactly. You're not OCD. You're anxious. Exactly. Yes. 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 <laughs> so, um, when you were talking about the buzzword, I was thinking about the mental health, mental health buzzword of this year and it's self-care. So self-care. <laughs> I feel like everywhere. that's been like the last three years. Yeah. Self-care is everywhere. Oh, practice self-care. Go to this spot. Practice self-care. Go buy this purse. Practice self-care. Go get a mani-pedi. That's not self-care. Right. Those are superficial things to enable capitalism. <laughs> I can understand that. But the reason when I saw the first one, it was interesting to me because I noticed another thing that's just a human thing that human beings do is we want to belong. We do. As as much as we want to be seen as individuals, we want to belong. We Mm -hmm. want to be a part of a group. And so when you put it out there, like, oh, you have the perfectionist, you have Mm -hmm. the superhero, you have the expert. It's these categories and group. And you want to say, oh, I belong to that one. Mm-hmm. I'm more like this or I'm more like that to be honest and we had this you know we had a conversation uh, a light conversation about um imposter syndrome and what it entails and I'm like to be honest I think I got the opposite of imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is but I think I'm the opposite of that and I think that's why I identified with that other uh, with the heart the article from the Harvard Business Review because I that's just how I perceive things it's like no, I know when something is wrong. And I and I do want to say I can be the first one to admit, like, okay, I'm tripping. Let me think about this for a little bit. It's me right now. But when it comes to certain situations and certain environments, I know when it's just not normal or mm-hmm. it's not right. Um, I think sometimes it's more difficult for people who are not as maybe assertive as I am. Or is vocal about, um, I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. And yes, I will be doing this and I Mm -hmm. will be doing that. 
everyone isn't like that. Yeah. And so when you're not like that, it, it can become difficult for you to put a name on it. And so I appreciate the creators of imposter syndrome for what they try to do, because that really is the first step. The first step when you, you know, of taking back that power or using your self-agency and being self-empowered is giving the thing that is oppressing you a name. Yep. When you're able to name it, you're able to identify it. You're able to say, hey, this is what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, I'm not the only person feeling this way. It's just in this particular case, there could be many different names to describe what these individuals are feeling. That is actually inclusive of not only white women, women of color, um, the uh, members of the LGBTQI plus community and any other groups that have been historically underrepresented and discriminated against. I love the fact that you mentioned the power in naming. It's actually one of the exercises I use in my Awaken journal um, that I published. And I walk the user through this exercise on naming stressors. Mm -hmm. And then I walk them through an exercise of creating a war cry and so the end goal is for them to do their war cry, which is a self-esteem boosting literal yell, and then looking at their stresses and doing their war cry again so that they don't feel defeated by it. Um, so I love that. I absolutely believe in the power of that. Absolutely. Okay. And that can be a coping mechanism as well. Yeah. For those of you struggling with imposter syndrome, yes, it's name discrimination. it. Discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that it could very well be that and so thank you so much for coming on the podcast again I appreciate you um would you like to give the audience your social media for those of you for those of who want to hear more sure and um, you follow some of the work that you're doing absolutely you can hear me um, and see some of my poetry on my website, www.mytruenorthartistry.com, or you can Google me, Ashanti Files, F is in Frank, like computer files. Um, you can look up the Urbana Poet Laureate, and my webpage is there as well on Facebook, and I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you again for speaking with the audience of Idealists, and I appreciate you. And I am thankful that you are in my life. Thank you so much for inviting me and thinking that I actually have something worth saying. I'm going <laughs> to a stepper set. <laughs> okay, well, have fun. <laughs> Bye. Bye.